What's up? What's happening, football fans? Welcome to episode 34 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Ballett, and I am back to talk about a lot of football action that has taken place over the past two weeks. Going to talk about the Champions League and the local leagues, each of the top five leagues, before I go ahead to preview another round of Champions League action that is taking place over the midweek this week. So without further ado, I believe that the only right place to start off with is the Champions League before I get to the games that took place over the weekend. And wow, what a Champions League round of 16 this is shaping up to be. I'm going to start off with, you guessed it, PSG losing at home one goal to three against an injury-ravaged Manchester United reserve side. You heard it right. Well, of course, you guys all know about this because it was all over social media and you must be living under a rock if you did not hear about this result. But wow, what a result this was. PSG went into the game leading um, with a two-goal lead from Old Trafford. So they were going into this game just to defend a two-goal lead against a Manchester United side that was missing 10 first-team players. 10 first-team players, including the likes of Paul Pogba, who was suspended, Martial injured, Lingard injured, Ander Herrera injured. Who else? Um, Nemanja Matic was injured. Alexis Sanchez, who, I mean, yeah, Alexis Sanchez has been shit, but he was injured as well. So 10 first-team players were injured in this match. The likes of McTominay, Andreas Pereira were starting in the midfield of United. And United pulled off the win. They pulled off the win to become the first team in Champions League history to go through after losing the first leg at home by more than one goal. And what can I say, man? Ole is at the wheel. How good does it feel? My God, what a game this was. Actually, let's even talk a little bit about the game. Because, first of all, the match, well, you could tell from the first two minutes that the match was just going to be something that we would never never forget. We could see that it was not going to be as easy of a walk in the park as we had expected it to be for PSG because Manchester United opened the scoring in just the second minute through Romelu Lukaku from a poorly placed pass from um, Kera, who was playing at right back for PSG, played a horrible pass to Thiago Silva, which Lukaku was able to step onto to intercept and to go on and beat the keeper and dribble past the keeper and place the ball from an acute angle into an empty net. He did very well to get that goal and United got off to a good start, the start that they had wished for. But then a few minutes later, it was just a barrage of PSG attacks raining upon the United box. United could not contain PSG attacking them after that goal was scored. When they were in possession, that's Manchester United, they lost possession so easily, kept on turning the ball over to PSG, and PSG were relentless, putting balls into the box until eventually they got their goal through one Bernat from a Kylian Mbappe assist. And from there, 
um i believe all heads were dropped all united fans had just lost all belief because they had just conceded another goal just 12 minutes into the tie and now needed two more goals to get back into the game and i'm sure at that point psg fans would have thought that the early scare was over and they would have just gone on on cruise control until the rest of the match but that wasn't to be because just 30 minutes later another defensive blunder and from who from the goalkeeper Gigi Buffon who they had signed who they had thought would bolster their opportunities of winning the Champions League he had an absolute stinker of a match and basically the second goal came from a Marcus Rashford shot from outside the box which was hit with a lot of ven- venom but was should have been a very easy save for Buffon but instead of being able to catch the ball the ball bounced off of his body and Lukaku just had to hit a rebound into the net for a 2-1 lead to Manchester United in the 30th minute and at this point I believe a lot of United fans would have had some semblance of belief and a lot of PSG fans would have been feeling nervous because they would have had memories of just two years ago when they when they blew a four-goal lead against Barcelona and were eventually knocked out. So, after the 2-1 lead, the, the match was kind of... Um, I would say PSG definitely controlled the, the possession because United only had like 20% possession at the end of the match or even less than that. So, PSG handled control of the ball, but were just really passing the ball around and Manchester United were happy to allow them to do that while they just protected their defensive third. So the f- first half ended without too many um, scares. I think there were like just one or two half chances for both teams. And then the second half came in and just a few minutes into the second half, it looked like it looks like um, PSG had gotten an equalizer through Angel Di Maria, who expertly dinked the ball over the keeper into the back of the net but that was ruled offside gladly so for all united fans thankfully it was ruled offside and the match continued after that and from there it looked like psg were just going to hold on for the um for the the win on aggregate of course they would have lost in the 19 minutes because they were still losing 2-1 but it looked like they were going to hold on and they kept on trying to create more chances but united were just the defense was um really dogged and did not really allow psg that many opportunities but they did get a golden opportunity where Kylian mbappe was set off on the break there was a counter-attacking opportunity and Kylian mbappe was through on goal and for some reason he slipped and De Gea was able to recover and kind of palm the ball away before a um i think it was chris smollick who kicked the ball away further and then there was a psg player i don't remember if it was di maria or who it was but he was able to get onto the ball onto the loose ball hit it and it hit the bar hit the the post and went off and the danger was averted and it was at this point that i as a united fan started believing that if PSG were not able to score from that opportunity, that means that there must be something in there for us. We just need to keep going. And that's exactly what happened. 90, 
around the 91st minute mark or 92nd minute mark in stoppage time, Dalo was on the ball. And instead of passing the ball to Ashley Young, who was on the wing, he decided to go for a shot, which at first looked like a very stupid decision because it was easily blocked by Kimpembe and it went out for a corner kick. But while United were getting ready to play the corner kick, guess what happened? The referee pauses the game and says that he has to go and check a potential handball decision on the VAR monitor. And he went and he did that and he gave a penalty on Kylian Mbappe to Manchester United. Wow. 94th minute, up steps Marcus Rashford. First penalty of his career as a United player. And what does he do? He dispatches the penalty into the back of the net. Manchester United 3-1 against PSG. Manchester United through to the quarterfinals. PSG are out of the Champions League. Wow. What a game this was. This was just absolutely mind-boggling. I did not even have a shred of hope as a United fan. I did not have a shred of hope that we were going to be able to pull off this result because, first of all, Pogba was suspended and then look at the team that was played. So many third-string, second-string players, the likes of Tahith Chong came off the bench. Um, a lot of other youngsters came off the bench to play this game and really, United should not have won this game because in terms of the, the whole play, they really did not create any chances and PSG just gifted all of the, the goals that United scored. They just gifted them all through defensive mistakes. But you can only score what is put in front of you and credit to United for actually finishing those chances. Especially credit to Romelu Lukaku who has now scored six goals in his last three games. He has scored braces in each of his last three games consecutively and Rashford with the nerves of steel to be able to step up to take his first ever penalty for the club and to score that and um, there was a lot of controversy of course because a lot of people are saying that it should not have been a penalty I for one I'm really on the fence because I have seen this these given this is definitely not the most controversial penalty call that I've seen in my life from a handball not even close i don't understand why a lot of people are going were going online saying that it was like by far the most controversial call i can understand yes if you take into into context what it meant in terms of the result and at what point in the match the penalty was given yes i can understand it was controversial but if you take all of that aside and just plainly look at the decision that was made which was based on a handball like a lot of it has been given otamendi was there was a penalty on Manchester City last um, two weeks ago against Schalke in the first leg, which was given against them, and it was a similar scenario. And even in this case, I don't know why Kimpembe is, is jumping with his back first, backing the player, instead of facing the player full on and being prepared to block the shots, even if it meant hitting, hitting him in the face. But it was really a cowardly thing to turn his back, and he was punished for that because defenders are trained not to do that. You're not supposed to do that as a defender. So, I don't know. For me, I'm on defense. But I will not tell you. I will not lie and say that. I'm not happy that it was given. I am excited. I am ecstatic that it was given. 
and United are through to the quarterfinals against all odds and Ole continues to revive this team to dig this team out of the dirt and it's really crazy but in terms of PSG what now for PSG what does the future hold for them because they have invested all of this money and have still not been able to go past the quarterfinals of the Champions League that must just be eating at the heart of the the directors the owners and I'm sure a lot of people are going to have to pay for this I'm sure they're going to have to sell a few players Thomas Tuchel, it seems like he's not going to lose his job, which I'm surprised. I thought he was going to lose his job if they didn't win this match, especially given the fact that they won the first leg 2-0. But even even the um, director, um, Nasser Al-Khalifi, he definitely has some questions to answer because this team just looks like they don't have a vision and it really shows because even if they had won this match, there was no chance that they were going to win this Champions League. They're just not good enough. They don't have the squad for it at all. And just because they were missing Neymar and Cavani, that's not a good enough excuse to lose against a second string, a B-side United team on the back of a 2-0 first leg lead. Sorry, that's not good enough. But anyways, that's about it for that match. But that was just not even the end of the controversy because we had another equally so I would, not, I would not say controversial match, but another equally amazing match, shocking result, because Ajax Amsterdam did the unthinkable and went to the Santiago Bernabeu and defeated Real Madrid four goals to one to progress to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and to knock the three-time cons- to knock the three-time consecutive Champions League holders out of the competition by winning 5-3 on goal aggregate. This was another match that like just beggared belief the performance that Real Madrid put in. Like let's even say like the scoreline actually flattered Real Madrid because Ajax should have scored a lot more goals than they did. So let's even talk about the match. Well, first of all, the scoring was open through Hakim Ziyech off of a an assist from Dusan Tadic who was just immense in this match. So, um, Hakim Ziyech made it 1-0 to Ajax. And then, just 18 minutes later, an absolutely beautiful piece of solo play from Dusan Tadic, where he did a 360 to wriggle himself free and played an exquisite through ball to David Neres in the 18th minute, who slotted home to give Ajax a 2-0 lead and an aggregate lead as well. And then from there, I'm sure a lot of Real Madrid fans would have been in panic mode because this is just, um, it's, it's sad to say, but this has not been a, what do you call it, an, isola- an isolated event. They have been dreadful away from home and were actually on the back of three straight losses at the Santiago Bernabeu, including two straight losses in our Clásicos. They lost 3-0 in the Copa del Rey second leg in which they were in pole position to go through and then they lost again in the league a few days later against Barcelona 1-0 so confidence was very low and it was not surprising for Ajax to be two goals ahead at that point in the game and then that's the way the first half ended Ajax had a lot more opportunities to put the game to bed in that first half but it just didn't happen and then the second half came in 
and they were just they showed that they were going to learn from the mistakes of the first leg in which they had the same amount of opportunities but were just not able to score and allowed Real Madrid to come back this was not the case in this match because Dusan Tadic once again I don't know if maybe he went and did a transplant with Lionel Messi he got some of his blood in his system just for this match because I don't understand the same Tadic that I knew from Southampton could actually put on a performance like this but in the 62nd minute he got a pass took one touch and placed a beautiful finesse shot into the back of the net Coutoin no chance he didn't even go for the goal go for the ball and Ajax were 3-0 up at the Santiago Bernabeu and surely it looked like they were going to go through. However, eight minutes later, substitute Marco Asensio came on from the bench and scored to make it 3-1 to Ajax. All they needed would have been two more goals, which would not have been an insurmountable task. With 20 minutes left, they could have pulled it off, but it wasn't to be because they gave off a clumsy free kick at the not even at the edge of the box but at the side of the 18 yard box at the very very close to the throw-in line to the touch line and last last say i don't know if it's last or last um shown stepped up for the free kick in the 72nd minute put it in the back of the net i don't know if he planned on doing that because it just looked like a freak goal but if you plan on doing that, that he literally got the only angle he could have chosen to actually score the goal. And he scored it. Ajax went through 5-3 on aggregate. Real Madrid out of the Champions League. Wow. Is this the end of an era? Mind you, as I said earlier, this was on the back of three straight home defeats against Girona barcelona twice and then now losing a fourth straight time in front of their home fans against ajax against a young ajax team whose average age was probably like 21 or 22 something like that very young players very talented players don't get me wrong highly talented squad but they lost the, but they were um, inexperienced youngsters who came to the santiago bernabeu and gave Real Madrid a spanking. So this has to be the end of an era. There are so many players that have to leave. I mean, you could see signs of it from last season. And I think Real Madrid had actually seen the signs that a lot of their older players had just run their course and could not be... They, they were not going to be able to put in the same level of performances that they did in the past few seasons this season. It was it was pretty obvious to see, and on top of that, you lose your fifteen, your fifty goal a strike, um, your fifty goal per season striker in Cristiano Ronaldo, you lose him, and it just tells you that obviously you have to make some big changes, some big signings, to fill these these gaps and to be, basically be understudies for these older players, but that wasn't so. They signed a few players who were just way too young, I mean. Nobody can deny that Vinicius has been an excellent signing. He actually got injured in this match and he was in tears. Really sad to get injured. So Vinicius got injured in this match. So, but yeah, it's obvious that he's been their best player this season by a long mile. 
and then they got him mariano diaz i've barely seen him i don't know if he's had been having injury problems or what but and then tibo kutwa you don't sign a goalkeeper and two players who are under the age of 20 years old to be the replacement for a 50 goal a season player like cristiano ronaldo i don't understand what they were doing but in this case like definitely changes have to be made florentino perez has to be absolutely ruthless in getting rid of a lot of the older players in the squad i i hear talk of the likes of marcelo leaving possibly luka modric even who is the best player in the world remember that he might be leaving as well Sergio Ramos seems like he's probably gonna stay but he they they definitely have to think of what to do with him because he cannot put in the level of performances that he has done in the past and um yeah Real Madrid have to make some huge signings next season because this season is already over they're not going to win the league they are out of the Copa del Rey out of the Champions League so everything that they're going to be doing is just planning towards next season and that next season is also obviously not going to have Santiago Solari at the helm he's not going to be in charge because there's no way they're going to keep him and there's actually a lot of rumors that he's actually going to be sacked any moment from now any day from now his his sacking could be announced and guess who seems to be in prime position to take his place Jose Mourinho that's just absolutely mind-boggling to me and i don't understand how they are even considering this guy considering the fact that first of all the way he left real madrid the first time he was the coach was just so toxic he had poor relationships with so many players that are still at the club right now the likes of sergio ramos and marcelo like i said earlier had poor relationships with them he also had bad relationships with um with a few of the the staff the coaching staff but he did have a good relationship with florentino perez and he has maintained that since he left so i don't know but still after that he came to chelsea fair enough first two seasons in chelsea unqualified unequivocal success he won the league on his second season got to the semi-finals of the champions league in his first season but then the third season the way he left was so toxic as well the way he fell out with so many players including Eden Hazard and a few other players in the team Sask Fabregas as well the way he fell out there just showed more and more evidence that the old Mourinho was losing his glow and he took over the Manchester United job and the less said about that the better but we all know how that ended in fact that just ended a few months ago so how in the hell can Real Madrid be actually considering Jose Mourinho to take over this team I really don't understand it and but it seems likely it seems like he's actually the one who's going to take over I don't know why they're just not going to um, stick to Santiago Solari they're definitely going to make the top four I mean okay let me not say definitely because these guys have shown that that there's really no low that they're not going to be able to achieve this season but they're most likely going to make the top four why don't they just hold on make the top four at the end of the season sack Solari and hire Pochettino or another coach why are they panicking right now and getting Jose Mourinho I really don't understand it and really until I hear the I hear the announcement I'm still not going to believe it but if you go by the rumors on the tabloids on the newspapers it seems like it's gonna happen and good luck to Real Madrid if you hire Jose Mourinho once again that's all I have to say 
Borussia Dortmund versus Tottenham Hotspur. First leg ended with a 3-0 um, win for Tottenham Hotspur. And Borussia Dortmund were going to have to put on an absolutely immense showing. Basically, they, they had to beat Spurs from top to bottom, not let them score. And they had to score three. But that was not the case because they lost that match 1-0, courtesy of a hurricane goal in the 48th minute. But let's talk about the game a little bit because this was really not the story of the whole game. Actually, Spurs were second best in most of the game, most of the first half especially. Borussia Dortmund were just raining on that Spurs defense. And I don't understand how Borussia Dortmund were not able to open the scoring in the first half. They could have easily gotten two or three goals in that first half. Like, I'm not kidding. So they failed to do that. And... In the second half, just a few minutes into the second half, loose ball snapped up by Harry Kane, one-on-one with the keeper. He didn't even have to get that close to the keeper. We all knew the result. Back of the net, goal. And that was just the end of the match because Doma were not going to be able to score five goals to defeat Spurs. That was just not going to happen. So, Tottenham Hotspur. They managed not to bottle it this time and they got a much needed win because they had been in a pretty poor run of form in the league. And I'm going to talk about that more in a bit. But yeah, they got the win and they go to the quarterfinals. And who knows, man, They who knows how far they can go because Real Madrid is already out. PSG is out. We don't know who could be knocked out in the um, by the end of this week. So really that... The second, the quarterfinals are going to be huge. If they get a good draw in the quarterfinals, then who knows how far they can go, man. But this is a very unpredictable um, Champions League this season. And also, they should have their new stadium ready for the quarterfinals as well. So hopefully they'll have that and we'll see how it goes for them. Over to the next match. And AS Roma defeated FC Porto three goals to one to overturn a 2-1 first leg deficit and go through as and and go through um against AS Roma they go through to the quarterfinals and this was a highly controversial match as well so the scoring was opened for FC Porto through um Tiquinho in the 26th minute he opened the scoring for them and then in the 37th minute De Rossi um okay well a penalty was awarded to Roma and De Rossi stepped up and dispatched it coolly to give to bring Roma back into the game 1-1. And then in the 52nd minute, Musa Marega, who has been their informed player this season, gave Porto the lead on the day and the equalizer on aggregate in the 52nd minute. And nothing else happened, so the match had to go to extra time because the first leg also ended with the same scoreline. So, um, extra time was given. It seemed like it was going to head straight to penalties. But then in the 117th minute of the game, a penalty was awarded to AS Roma after um, VAR was consulted. The decision was made, a penalty was given, and Alex Telles stepped up and scored to give Roma a 3-1 lead. 
But that was just not the end of the controversy because just minutes later, another penalty call from, and this time for AS Roma, they were, an AS Roma player was in the box. I think it was Pellegrini, I can't remember who it was, but he was in the box and there was definitely contact from a an FC Porto defender and the, and the referee refused to even review the decision. He refused to look at his monitor and the VAR team as well did not draw his attention to that particular um, foul. So I think AS Roma would have definitely felt hard done by because I believe if it was reviewed, it probably would have been given as a penalty. But it wasn't even reviewed and that must have been very disappointing for them. And um, Roma, on the other hand, what am I saying? FC Porto, on the other hand, they... Basically, the tactics that they went into the first leg with by just losing by one goal and being able to beat Roma by more than one goal in the Estadio do Dragao, it paid off and they are through to the quarterfinals. For Roma, on the other hand, somebody had to pay for this bad result and for the bad season they've been having. And their coach, Di Francesco, was sacked after the match. And guess who was appointed? Claudio Ranieri has been appointed the new manager of AS Roma. And good luck to them because I really don't understand why Ranieri is getting this job. I mean, fair enough, he won the Premier League. But what did he do since then? Well, he almost got relegated the following season and got sacked with Leicester. He went over to Nantes. Nantes sacked him again. Came back to the Premier League to try and help Fulham escape relegation, to help Fulham avoid relegation. That just did not happen. They were still shipping in goals for fun like they were before he came. Probably even worse after he came and he got sacked. And after that, just like a few weeks later, he gets this job. I really don't understand. But I mean, he's a former Roma player. So I guess that plays a part. And he definitely is going to have better players at his disposal than the last two clubs he joined. So let's see if he's able to make them finish in the top four. But I really doubt that. Over to the Europa League, and there was a huge upset there because Arsenal were defeated three goals to one by Rennes in the first leg of their match. They actually opened the scoring in the third minutes through Alex Iwobi, but then Socrates got two yellow cards and was sent off in the 41st minute, and the game just completely changed from there. Arsenal could not handle Rennes, and they ended up conceding three goals. And in the second leg, they have it at the Emirates. They should be able to overturn it, but they definitely have a mountain to climb. And then Chelsea made easy work of Dynamo Kiev in their first leg in, in Stamford Bridge and defeated them three goals to nil. They got goals from Pedro in the 17th minute, Willian with a delicious free kick in the 65th minute, and Hudson Adoy in the 90th minute. So Chelsea, I believe that they're going to start to focus more on the Europa League because their top four hopes are definitely fading, and I will talk about that more in a little bit. So, let's talk about the Premier League results. And the standout match from there was Arsenal defeating Manchester United two goals to nil. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer suffered his first defeat away from home in all competitions since joining the club and his first Premier League defeat. Huge, huge win for Arsenal on the other hand in terms of the top four race. And... Um, yeah, this match was crazy. 
the scoring was opened through Granit Xhaka in the 12th minute with a kind of a freak shot from outside the box, which I believe De Gea should have saved. But it was a very confusing shot and difficult to handle because, well, I mean, not even difficult to handle, it was just confusing because Granit Xhaka took the um, shot from outside the box. It looked like it was going to go to the, to the left side of De Gea, but then just quickly swerved and changed direction and basically ended up in the middle of the goal and De Gea had already committed to going to his left-hand side. And he deserves... Well, I don't know if he deserves so much blame because in my opinion, that was really tricky. Like, I, when I watched it in normal time, I actually thought that the ball had gone in through a deflection. I thought it had deflected off of a United defender and it went in. The swerve was just crazy. That was a huge swerve and it was a really windy day as well in England. All the matches... Like we're, exper- we're experiencing high speeds of wind and I think it really did not help De Gea in this case but he definitely did get a lot of blame from from fans from the from the press from journalists and yeah I don't know but I really I would like to give him the benefits of the doubts in this situation I don't think it was that bad of a blunder but he could have done better he could have stayed like he could have stayed in the middle and it would have been an easy save instead of committing so early but anyways that's why he makes so many saves because he's able to commit to the ball early and accurately get the the right spot that the ball is going to hit and make the save but anyways united should have actually opened the scoring through romelu lukaku before that and they created so many more opportunities in this match in that first half especially they created so many opportunities and they were just they just had poor finishing lukaku had a really horrible day and yeah the the vast majority of the chances came to his feet and he ended up just squandering all of them and in the second half um fred fouled lacazette in the box penalty was given to arsenal and Aubameyang stepped up and made it 2-0 to arsenal and united created even more opportunities after that but still poor finishing and especially from that man Lukaku who has been in such good form he lost he was not able to put the ball in the back of the net and Manchester United suffered a defeat which will definitely damage our hopes of making the top four but this top four race is hot as hell because it's really just I mean Spurs have already been dragged back into the top four race and it's really it's really up for grabs and arsenal really needed that win of course on the back of the loss in the europa league and i think if they had lost this match against united i would have probably said that their top four hopes were gone so they definitely needed this win and they did well to get it over to the title race though manchester city who are now on top of the table defeated watford by three goals to one at the etihad stadium and no surprise it was that man again raheem sterling grabbing his hat-trick he grabbed a hat-trick by the 59th minute giving manchester city all three points gerard de Lofeo got a consolation goal in the 65th minute but there was really nothing more after that and manchester city have now maintained their one point lead at the top of the table they also have a few injury concerns and the biggest one because they have so much depth i don't think they'll be so so concerned with injuries they should be able to cope but the one position where they don't have a have so much depth 
is in the defensive midfield position and Fernandinho is injured and they definitely need him back very soon because if they come up against any top opposition that that's that gap might be exposed Raheem Sterling on the other hand he has been so immense this season and in my opinion he should be nominated for the PFA player of the year if he if by the end of the season especially if Manchester City win the league he should definitely be nominated but even if they don't he should still be nominated because he has just had a wonderful season and really he has been their best player this season next match still involving the title race Liverpool got back to winning ways and got a much needed win at Anfield against relegation struggling Burnley they defeated them by four goals to two at Anfield and this game looked like it was going to be another nervous affair for Liverpool because Burnley actually opened the scoring in the sixth minute through Ashley Westwood straight from the corner straight into the back of the nets but the goal should not have been given because there was an obvious foul on Allison. James Tarkovsky tried to head the ball and he literally placed both hands on Allison to get leverage to jump up for the for the header which was just a clear foul and I don't understand how the referee missed it I mean I can understand that there were a lot of bodies in the box and it, w- it would have been hard to see but the referee's attention should definitely be on the keeper because keepers get fouled a lot in set pieces so I don't understand how the referee can miss such a blatant foul on the keeper but luckily for Liverpool it was not so consequential in terms of the result of the match because they grabbed an equalizer in the 19th minute through Bobby Firmino and then once again they took the lead in the 29th minute through the informed man Sadio Mane he has just been their informed player and has been getting so many goals this season and then in the 67th minute Firmino made it 4-1 to Liverpool no sorry 3-1 to Liverpool Made it 3-1 to Liverpool after Salah was through on goal one-on-one. He had two options, either to e- either to take the ball on his own and try to finish the one-on-one opportunity or to square it, in my opinion, which would have been the better option, to square it for an easy tap-in for Sadio Mane. But he decided to go for goal and he actually missed the one-on-one. But luckily, Firmino was on hand to get the rebound and give Liverpool comfort a two-goal lead and to effectively put the game to bed. However, they continued to create more opportunities. They did not score. And then in the 91st minute, Johan Goodmanson scored to make it 3-2. And definitely it would have made for a nervy ending to the match, if not for the fact that just two minutes later, a defensive mistake and Sadio Mane was on hand to slot the ball into an empty net in the 93rd minute and to give Liverpool the 4-2 victory. Huge, much-needed victory for Liverpool. And in terms of the game, the game should not have been as close as it was because the, the first goal for Burnley should have been ruled off. And Liverpool were very comfortable in this match. Burnley did not create shit in this match. And yeah, Liverpool should have had the game done and dusted much much earlier than they did Salah on the other hand is still not firing he missed the one-on-one and he's yeah he's just not firing man he's not in form at all he was definitely involved in in the goals but 
like it was his involvement that basically offset the the defense and allowed Firmino and Mane to get those goals but he needs to step up in terms of scoring goals because if Salah does not get back his scoring form I don't see Liverpool winning this league because Sadio Mane has shown in the past that he doesn't have the ability to keep a sustained run of form for more than like 10 to 12 games they've got nine games left in the league or eight games left and i don't really see sadio mani being able to turn up for every game but i can see salah doing that so salah needs to step up but liverpool are still one point behind city and the title race hopefully it's going to go to the very end of the season Whew. next southampton defeated spurs two goals to one at st mary's stadium and what a huge result for Southampton. But what a very huge loss and a huge knock for Spurs because this means that Spurs are fully and effectively in the top four race. If they weren't before, they are now because they are literally just one point above Arsenal in fourth position and three points above Manchester United in fifth and um, four points above chelsea who are in sixth so it's just four points separating sixth and third place so spurs are definitely in the in the top four battle when we were just talking about them being in the title race a few weeks ago now they're in the top four race that just shows you how much can change when you're spurs you just don't ever trust them with any results and in this match they actually opened the scoring in the 26th minute through harry kane but they and, and, and the first half ended with them really on top. They had the best chances in the first half. I should have made it 2 or 3-0. But they did not do that. And in the second half, Southampton were like a revitalized team and got the equalizer through Jan Valeri, getting his second goal in as many games in the 76th minute. And then, free kick from the edge of the box. James Ward-Prowse steps up. He's in form. Free kick specialist grabs the goal wonderful curling effort into the back of the net hugo Lloris no chance in the 81st minute and southampton take the lead and it would stay that way until the end of the game it's funny how for spurs they've had all these injuries and they were able to cope and then once the injured players are back they start to lose games it's really really ironic but for southampton that was a huge win for them because they um, maintained their two goal their, their, their two point advantage over cardiff who are in 18th position southampton are in 17th position and they maintain that that two goal um what am i saying two point lead so um chelsea on the other hand were held to a 1-1 draw in stanford bridge against wolverhampton wanderers no surprise here because these are the sorts of results that wolves have been pulling off this season they had a draw at united they had a draw at home against um, against Manchester City. They defeated Spurs in Wembley three goals to one. And this was just another scalp that they took against a big team. Tough for Chelsea though, because Chelsea are fighting to get into the top four. And this result did them no favors. Let's talk about the game. Wolves went in with a game plan. It was to defend and hit on the counter-attack. The first half was a really cagey affair because they defended very well. They just limited Chelsea to hoofing the ball into the box 
and they were able to deal with all the balls into the box pretty easily. Iguain has lost his legs, so he didn't really have the movement that a number nine should have to be able to stretch a defense. So he did that just once or twice in the game, but most times he was really static in the match and was pretty easy to deal with. So the first half ended nil-nil. Second half came in and in the 56th minute, that counter-attacking opportunity that Wolves had been waiting for was finally gotten. And they did not miss the opportunity. They took it. Raul Jimenez got the goal to give them a 1-0 lead. And it looked like it was going to stay that way because Chelsea continued to pile on the pressure. They created a few opportunities. They were just not going in. Everything was going against them, offsides, this and that. But then up steps that special man, Eden Hazard, stepped up to give the equalizer in the 92nd minute through an absolute stunner from the outside of the box, way outside the box. Keeper, no chance. Eden Hazard got the equalizer. And that's where the game ended, 1-1. So, really poor result for Chelsea. They will be highly disappointed because they still have a game in hand on Arsenal. But even if they win the game in hand, they will just be one point below, behind. Um, they will still be one point behind and will not be in the top four. And um, Sarri, he finally showed some flexibility by substituting Jorginho for once instead of allowing him to play 90 minutes but unfortunately for him it still did not change the results of the game and he's probably going to revert back to starting Jorginho in the next match but he still needs to show more flexibility he needs to show more flexibility in terms of his formations in terms of the lineups and he's just not doing that and he has shown no evidence that he's going to learn from his mistakes and con and he will probably just continue doing this so I really don't see Chelsea making that top four Maybe they can win the Europa League. As I said earlier, that's really looking like the best chance of getting into the Champions League for next season. But even that is a tall order because we've still got the likes of Inter Milan, of Napoli, of Arsenal as well, and Sevilla as well, still in the Europa League. So it's a tall order. It's not a given that they're going to win that as well. So really, Sarri, I think is, it's not going to end well for him. At the end of the season, I really don't see him staying in charge of Chelsea. But yeah, shout out to Wolves. They continue to do it against the big boys. And this was just no surprise at all that they pulled off such a result and actually almost got the win. Good for them. Next, we go over to Serie A. And over there, Juventus, a much-changed Juventus team, made easy work of Udinese at home by defeating them four goals to one. They got goals from the teenager Moise Keane who has a lot of potential but has just not been able to really kick on from the early years when he became the first um, player born in the 2000s to play in any of Europe's top five leagues and to become the first player born in the 2000s to score a goal in the top five leagues as well. He has not really kicked on from that, but he put in a very good showing in this match and he grabbed a brace. He opened the scoring in the 11th minute, grabbed his brace in the 39th minute there was a penalty which I believe should have been given to him to get a chance for his hat-trick. But Emre Chan took the penalty and he scored it in the 67th minute. Blaise Matuidi scored in the 71st minute. And then Kevin Lasagna, the best name in football. He grabbed an equalizer. What am I saying? He grabbed a consolation goal for Udinese in the 84th minute. So Juventus rested a lot of players for this match. And unsurprisingly so, they did that because they have a big game 
the game that is really going to define their season coming up later in the week against Atletico Madrid. So they were able to rest the likes of Ronaldo, Dybala, and so on because obviously they've already won the league. Such a huge lead on top of the table. And I believe now they're leading by, what is it, like 17 or 18 points. Let me actually take a look at this. So yeah, they've got an 18-point lead. That's what separates them and Napoli, who are in second place. So the league is over. The league is over, excuse me. But we all know that their season hinges on the middle of the season. But anyways, let's talk a little bit about the top four race in Serie A. Inter Milan got a much-needed victory by defeating Spal two goals to nil at home. They needed that victory because they have also been drawn into that top four race. They still sit in third place, but they're just literally um, one point. Well, actually, they're, they're in fourth. What am I talking about? They're, they're in fourth position now, just six points above Roma, who have a game in hand in, in fifth, and one point behind AC Milan, their Milan rival, who are in third position with 51 points so much needed victory for inter milan and still no signs of um mauro icardi being invited back into the team we all know what happened with him and his between him his wife who is also his agent and the club his wife had a few choice words to 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 say when she was um acting as a pundit i believe well, she regularly is a pundit on a particular station in Italy. And they asked her a few questions and he, she, was, she basically did not mince her words. She had a few choice words for the Inter Milan board, for the Inter Milan players as well. And Mario Icardi refused to refute these statements made by his wife. So since then, he has been excommunicated from the club, stripped of his captaincy and has not been involved in any matches since then and it looks like it's going to continue that way and it's safe to say that even if he's invited back into the team this is most likely his last season with inter milan over to the other side of milan and they just keep on rolling because they defeated kievo two goals to one away from home they got goals from lucas biglia with an exquisite free kick in the 31st minute then Kievo got an equalizer in the 41st minute. But then that man, once again, Christoph Piantek, the wonder man, scored in the 57th minute to give AC Milan the lead and the win. And it looks like they're going to make the top four because they are in a third position and Piantek is just not slowing down. So if they continue to play like this, they're definitely making that top four. Then over to the Bundesliga. And over there, we had... Bayern Munich absolutely demolishing Wolfsburg at home at the Allianz Arena. Six goals to nil. They got goals from Serge Gnabry, Lewandowski, James Rodriguez, Thomas Muller, Joshua Kimmich and Lewandowski to round off his brace and to seal the win. And Bayern Munich are just rolling. They are rolling. They are back in form right now. And it seems like nobody in the league can touch them. And they are effectively now on top of the league table. And why is that? That is because Borussia Dortmund 
were only able to defeat Stuttgart by three goals to one. And they were not able to match Bayern Munich's scoring powers and are now second in the league, level on points, but behind by two goals on goal difference. This was a huge match for Borussia Dortmund, though, and it looked like they were going to drop points once again on the back of being knocked out of the Champions League and being knocked out of the, of the DFB Cup um, Pokal just a few weeks prior. They got a much-needed win. They actually opened the scoring through Marco Royce through a penalty in the 62nd minute, but then Mark Oliver Kempf equalized for Stuttgart in the 71st minute, and... It took until the 84th minute for Paco Alcacer, their top scorer, to give them back the lead. And then Christian Pulisic sealed the win in the 92nd minute. Pulled off a late winner, but and they've managed to stay in there and still keep up with Bayern Munich. I'm not sure if they can do that until the rest of the season, though, because it seems like Bayern Munich have finally um, found that scoring touch, that form, that they can only possess because they are by far the best team in in Germany and if they really continue like this i don't see dortmund being able to keep up because i can easily see bayern winning every game from now till the end of the season i can't say the same for dortmund but let's see how this title race he um ends up it's a really exciting title race though and let's see how it ends up over to the fixtures and i'm only going to talk about the midweek games because we've got the second round of the second leg fixtures for the round of 16 in the Champions League. And I'm just going to start off with the biggest one, which is Juventus versus Atletico Madrid. Juventus have a huge mountain to climb. Their season hinges upon this game and they have to overturn a two-goal deficit against the worst team in Europe to have to overturn a two-goal deficit against that is Atletico Madrid. They live for this. They live to defend. They live to defend one goal leads, not to talk of two goal leads. And it's really tough to see Juventus being able to score three goals unanswered against Atletico Madrid. Juventus do have an equally good defense, but it just seems like too much to ask. But let's see. They have Cristiano Ronaldo, and we all know the reason why they signed him. They signed him to deliver them the Champions League. So if there was ever a time for him to score and to add to his just one goal in the Champions League, this is the game. He needs to step up big time, but not just him. The likes of Dybala, Dybala needs to step up. The defense needs to step up because they cannot concede even one goal in this match. If they concede one, they have to score four. So they can't, they can't concede and it's a huge game for, for Juventus. I can't state this enough. Let's go Madrid will have the incentive to play the final in their home stadium so they're going to go all out for this match and it's going to be so difficult to beat them next match we've got Manchester City versus Schalke City already have a 3-2 lead and they should be able to make easy work of Schalke Barcelona versus Lyon that's going to be another interesting match to watch because we all expect Barcelona to defeat Lyon but the thing is like it's so it's always so precarious when you're when like the first leg ends nil nil, when you're not able to score an away goal, and when all the all Leon needs to do is just score a goal and park that bus because a score draw will take them through. So if they can get an early goal, 
really all bets are off in this match. But I do expect Barcelona to convincingly defeat them at the new Camp. And then another big one, and it's Bayern Munich home against Liverpool. This is also 0-0 on aggregate. And the same scenario goes because if Liverpool is able to nick an early goal, then it's really going to be tough for Bayern to be able to score and to prevent Liverpool from hitting them on the counter-attack. But Bayern Munich should be going into this game with mountains of confidence because they have just been on a roll in the league lately. And it's going to be tough for Liverpool. Liverpool should be going in with confidence, but they also have one eye on the league. And I don't know if they're going to have all of their attention on this match because we all know that their fans really, really want to win the league. They've won the Champions League more recently than they've won the league. They were in the final last year even. So the the fans are definitely going to be looking to win the league. But that being said, they should still be able to win this match because based on the entirety of the season, Liverpool have been way better than Bayern Munich have been. Bayern have only rediscovered their form lately Liverpool have been simply immense all through the season and it would be really disappointing for them to go out in the round of 16 the Champions League but it's going to be an exciting match and I can't wait for that one over to the Europa League and over there we've got Arsenal versus Rennes Arsenal have to overturn their 3-1 deficits which they should be able to do but like I said if Ren is able to nick a goal, we all know how shaky Arsenal's defense can be. They're going to be without Socrates. If Ren can nick a goal, we, we don't know. Like, this game could go either way. But let's see how that goes. Dynamo Kiev versus Chelsea. Chelsea should be able to convincingly wipe out Dynamo Kiev. They've already got a three-goal lead. So this should be a dead rubber. Inter Milan versus Eintracht Frankfurt. This one is no no on aggregate. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one turns out. It's definitely not a foregone conclusion that Inter Milan are going to win this match, especially considering all that's been going around in their club. And then Salzburg versus Napoli. Napoli should make easy work of them because they've already got the 3-0 lead from the home leg. And then Slavia Prague versus Sevilla. This one is 2-2 on aggregate. Sevilla um, were held to a 2-2 draw in the first leg. And they're going to do well to win this one because we all know they're the kings of the Europa League. They've won so many Europa Leagues, the most successful Europa League team in history. So I'm sure they're going to be going for that because it also looks like they might not make the top four this season in the league. So this is another chance for them to get into Europe for next season, to get into the Champions League, sorry. So we'll see how they go. But that's all I've got for today. Thanks once again for listening. I will be back probably later in the week to talk about all the results and to also look ahead to the FA Cup and Premier League and other league fixtures for the next weekend. But anyways, enjoy the midweek games. And as usual, my name is David Ballat. Catch me on Instagram at dballat, on Twitter at dkballat. Thanks guys for listening. Have a good week. Bye-bye.